Welcome to another episode of Canton Bound, the NFL side of our shows here at Campus to Canton. As always, I am Austin, and yet again, no Colin with me here today. Colin has just been gallivanting across the country, so joining me tonight is Jack at Clinic Cap on Twitter. How are you doing tonight, man? Good to talk to you. I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm happy to be here. I know that, you know, your co-hosts on another extravagant vacation, it sounds like. So, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to fill in for the time being. You know, I told him if, you know, if one of these guests goes really well, he just might not have a job when he gets back. So we, we might have to talk after the show here. We'll see. We'll see I'll, I'll be the I'll be the Brady to his blood. So he's got to watch out. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, so tell everyone just a little bit about what you are working on just within, you know, the fantasy space. Yeah, so I'm the co-owner, co-founder of um, Fantasy Football Clinic. So a lot of my content goes over there on our Patreon. Um, But primarily right now, we're working with our stat simulator tool, which is what we use to do season-long projections. So that's um, primarily a redraft tool, but it can be applicable to Dynasty as well. Um, So we're really mainly working on that. Um, I've done a lot of threads of projecting individual players for people. Um, You know, and our, our model is based off of project progression regression. So everyone talks about regression, but not a lot of progression. So we put in, you know, you think they're going to get 10% more fantasy points, or you could even break it down to 10% more receiving yards a season or vice versa. And then the tool will calculate it out into fantasy points at the end. And it goes based on standard half PPR and full PPR formats. Um, And then it auto sorts into rankings for you. So that's really what we've been working on right now, because I like to run, you know, my early rankings late late may early june and then pretty much the rest of the season is just is tweaking until you know we we get into game time basically so that's primarily what i'm focusing on um i'm also the editor for our patreon and our fantasy football site so i have a couple writers who i work with and then i edit their work and post on there make sure it's shared around so it gets good exposure but that's basically it right now besides being you know twitter machine most of the time to try and you know have conversations create dialogue around fantasy um, and honestly, educate myself more on some guys I should be looking for, maybe somebody I'm wrong about. So that that's mainly the gist of it right now. Awesome. And um, so you have you you said you usually do your first set of rankings late May, early June. Do you have like a a set that you're working with right now that you've kind of worked out? Yeah, I had my first run. Well, they're like a V1.2 because I've done an update to them. Um, and these aren't you know your rankings where there's a narrative behind it. These are literally just stats projections of who's going to have the most fancy points that's where we start um and until all the off-season moves are done all injuries that are going to pop up in training camp and everything then we'll start making our narratives around those rankings um but we try to stick to the stats until we get close because a lot of those narratives can shift and change and in the end they might not be end up you know worth talking about like look at Najee Harris just today lost his all-pro guard so, you know, that changes the narrative of what people are going to talk about with him, but it might not necessarily change his fantasy point outlook. That I, I'm a little upset you had to bring that up. Uh, I'm a <laughs> huge, huge Steelers fan here. I live in here in Pittsburgh. Uh, that, that bombshell dropped on my way home from work. Uh, it was not a very uh, happy ride home. So, uh, no, I hope, they, I hope they have some kind of contingency plans. You know, they've supposedly been working out some guys, but... I think everyone knows that O-line's a hot mess. And I don't feel – I'm not as worried about Najee as I am Big Ben because, you, as you know, Big Ben is not uh, what you'd call a mobile quarterback. He's very statuesque and has been for quite a long time now. So I'm, 
I'm more worried about him. And, you know, I don't wish the Steelers any ill. I'm a Lions fan, but don't want to see anybody get hurt. Yeah, the, the guy that announced in the middle of last season that he has arthritis in his knees. <laughs> Maybe not the best guy to put behind, you know, a, a Swiss cheese offensive line there. <laughs> no. Um, so I, I, I did not prep this question with you ahead of time, but it, it just kind of mm-hmm. popped into my head here as we're talking. You have, like, your version 1.2. Are there any yep. names that, when you ran it, surprised you with either way with, like, how well you're kind of projecting them to do or how poorly you're projecting them to do? Yeah, there definitely are a few. I mean, in your top five consensus, there's pretty much your typical names. Outside of Aaron Jones, he cracked the top five for me, which I was actually surprised by. Um, I feel like he's a guy every year that puts up big-name production but doesn't match the big-name narrative where you – you see his name or you hear his name, you go, oh, he's an elite fancy running back. Like a Saquon Barkley, like you see that name and you immediately think top five. I don't think many people think that with Jones, um, but I think it's definitely in his range of outcomes. Um, him, he's at RB5, DeAndre Swift's at RB9 in full PPR. Um, and I've seen a lot of Swift chatter lately boiling down to the offense is going to be bad. The defense is bad. Um, but you know, my counterpoint to that always is, well, he's the second best pass catcher on that entire team behind Hawkinson. And if you want a negative game script, you want to be running behind. And for somebody of Swift's caliber and, you know, skill set, he, he's going to be involved in the passing game. People say Jared Goff's a bad quarterback and he can't throw. And if that's true, then he's gonna have a lot of checkdowns. So like for me, the only real knock I can see with Swift is maybe the lack of touchdown opportunity, you know, in the red zone. Um, and then you could say the concussion history that he's already had that those are the only two concerning points I could really see, you know? Um, so he's higher for me than I think a lot of people, cause I've been seeing that quite a bit, you know, his, it's going to damper his ADP a bit, which is more than fine by me. Um, and then I guess my other surprise guy in terms of him not being projected well as Cam Akers, I, I can't even get him in my top 20 of running backs wow. and it's wow okay yeah it it's it blows my mind I, i've gone through it two or three times now and he's creeped up a little bit but i still can't i can't get him there and i don't know what it is because i like him as a talent you know I, i've watched him i love the playoff run everything that happened at the end but i think what's happening is we're getting a lot of recency bias because people remember those last couple games and people always remember the playoffs for fantasy especially going into projections and early so it could be that I'm not looking at that enough or, you know, I'm not taking it into account, but he's, he's a guy I'm struggling to move up the board. You know, part of that is I'm one of those believers that Darrell Henderson's going to have more of a role than people think because he's just, has been just as good efficiency wise as Cam Akers has when healthy. I'm not saying he's as good as Cam Akers. I think Cam Akers is the better player, um, but I think he's going to have a role. Because we saw Akers got banged up early last year, and I really don't think they want to run him into the ground if they don't have to, and they have a more than capable guy behind him. Um, And I also think there's the possibility that the Rams' defense is so good that, you know, they can really go into clock-killing mode, game-manager mode with Stafford if they need to, and it's not – I don't think they'll score as many points as people think. I think a lot of people are projecting them as this, you know, 35, 40-point-a-game type of offense, and – and I really don't think they need to do that to win ball games. And, you know, if they don't need to, I don't believe they will. It's certainly a possibility. I mean, it could be dead wrong and Cam Akers finishes top five, and I'd be more than happy if that happens because I have him in a keeper league. So, like, I, I'm rooting for him. It's not that. It's just I, I have a really hard time putting him above a lot of other guys and all these guys that have come back healthy now that were gone last year. 
um, you know, I think, I think that's pushed him down for me. So I know, I know once I post some, he'll, he'll creep up higher, but I still think I'm going to be a lot lower than consensus on him. That's interesting that you have him down that low. Um, so I, I mean, I, I, I don't know how that Rams offense is going to play out. I think if anything, Stafford passes, the, the pass offense is kind of where they, they'll lean at least early in games. But I, I mean, I, I don't really know. I mean, I'm assuming you're probably wishing Stafford all the best as a, a Lions fan. Oh yeah, heading across the country. So yeah, good for him. Go to a real team. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love talking to Lions fans about this kind of stuff because you guys have just seen it all. Like it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You're just like yeah, like you know. No, we're we we've had the worst of the worst. We're not phased. I mean, Dan Campbell's a breath of fresh air to us, and a lot of other people, you know, outside of Lions fans aren't thrilled with him as a coach. But for us, like at least it's something entertaining. For, for once in 10 years, you know. Yeah, if you're going to be bad, at least, you know, make it, you know, watchable. Let's, and then hopefully, yeah, let's have, you know, let's have fun with it. it you turns know? around, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's fun. Um, so I guess uh, the first question I, I presented to you, and it was it was funny. We were supposed to kind of hop on last week, and we had some miscommunication, and it didn't yep. happen. <laughs> this was, like, kind of fresh news at the time, and now maybe it doesn't seem like it is, but, we, you know, just discussing your rankings there, it can probably slot in. Um, you know, Julio getting traded from Atlanta to – um, to Tennessee, has that shaken things up for you? Uh, have you have you like run you know run things again since that happened? Or are you still kind of working off what you had before there? Yeah, I ran it right after he got traded because somebody asked me that question, and before he got traded, when that that news came out that you know Julio wants out and the audio clip with Shan Sharp and all that stuff, I had said early on that there's likely no better fantasy destination for Julio than Atlanta. And that's just because of the volume he's had. You know, he's been hyper-targeted by Matt Ryan when he's been in games. He's been allergic to touchdowns for whatever reason. But Julio has gotten that kind of target share that's not easy to get somewhere else. So the only place I saw from the get-go, like maybe if he goes to Kansas City or something, just because he's with a Patrick Mahomes and that could make up for that that target share or lack thereof. Um, so when he went to Tennessee, like it was one of those moves where I'm like, wow, this is great for – NFL purposes and for winning games and for Ryan Tannehill, but not for his, you know, target share and volume. Obviously he was banged up last year and playing every game, but once he moved, I have him down at wide receiver 24. So for me, he's a back end wide receiver two in most leagues. You know, I'm assuming a 12 team format, Um, but he's one of those types of guys who I can see being a wide receiver two, but having the blow up weeks, like, you know, he has his 30 point week, 35 point week. Um, but, you know, the issue is that they've historically been a run-heavy offense. And I don't think they're going to be as run-heavy as they have been in years past because they have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. How could you be? I mean, you'd yeah, be too you tempted to throw the football. Julio Jones to continue to pound the rock. Yeah, yeah. No. So I expect it to, you know, increase a little bit, maybe 10 15% of what, what they've gotten. But you've also got to remember, you know, they, Corey Davis is gone. So there's a vacated targets with that and Josh Reynolds filling, you know, and Johnny Smith being gone. So I think I think the targets will be there, but I don't think it's going to be as much as, as Atlanta had because Atlanta has also had a way worse defense for a long time. So they've been in that negative game script and had to throw their way out of it. You know, if Matt Ryan throws a ball 40 times in the game, it's not a shock. And they also don't have a Derrick Henry to when they jump out in the lead, they can just they can pound them 20, 25 times a game and, and you know, milk the clock out. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I I love the fit for NFL because it's going to be really fun to watch. Um, but for fantasy, I tempered my expectations a little bit just because, you know, 
there's who I had as the number one overall fantasy wide receiver right across from. So it's hard, hard to counter that and hard to have two wide, wide receiver ones in an offense. It's only happened a handful of times in the last few years. So is there a scenario in which it is kind of a Minnesota offense from the past couple of years? You know, like with Thielen and, you know, Thielen and Diggs and then Thielen and JJ last year. And then obviously Dalvin yep. Cook has put up. Nice yeah. I, too. Is that within the range of outcomes? I think there is. Um, the possibility that happens the only the thing that's hard to project with it is Julio has not been this touchdown machine that you would think he would be you know with with being a big body receiver like that I think that range of outcomes where they do have a Justin Jefferson Thielen type of year you know and with Dalvin Cook you know the productivity running back coming is if Julio hits that double digit touchdown mark um and I think that's more realistic than not because losing Johnny Smith who is primarily a red zone threat you know I think Julio could take over some of that role Obviously, people like Anthony Ferkser, you know, that's that's all fine, but I'd rather throw to Julio Jones in the red zone. Um, no offense to Ferkser, but, you know, I think that if that came to fruition and Julio just became, you know, 11, 12 touchdown season, I think I think that could push him up um, because those touchdowns obviously swings, swings things a lot on a per-game basis. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you still think A.J. Brown is going to, you know, does this hurt him at all? Or because you need Corey, you just talked about, you know, the Corey Davis big yep. targets, you know, an increase in passing volume perhaps in the cards. I think it does, but not as much as people think. Um, you know, I think it's silly not to say it, it dampens it a little bit. I think he's still one of those guys where, you know, you see four or five guys every year that you look at and you're like, you know what? Yeah, they could finish as the wide receiver one this season fantasy i think that's still in his range of outcomes because he has shown just hyper efficiency so far in his career i mean the type of efficiency that like well that's not repeatable that's what he said after his rookie year and then he got better at it this last year and now we're saying well that's not repeatable but you know they can't double cover julio jones and aj brown so that's that's where i see it as you know i think he still could have it happen because he's just one of those elite type of wide receivers you know, for me, he's still the dynasty wide receiver one. He didn't, it didn't move him down in that for me at all because, you know, I think more often than not, he is the guy for the foreseeable future. And Julio, you know, he's 32 years old. It's not going to last that long. Um, so I, I still think it could happen. He moved down, you know, like one or two spots, but, you know, he wasn't a hyper volume type of guy anyways. So I don't think it hurts him that much. That I, uh, I boldly proclaimed on on a show right after that happened that i thought they could both be wide receiver ones this year so um it could happen i mean see but yeah i mean it it was more just me being hot takey um but (laughs) i'm I'm interested to see how that offense plays out i really am which is not something Mm -hmm. i necessarily thought i would say about tennessee a month ago so you know they've come a long way yeah and uh, so on the flip side then ridley does this just jack his you know target share and all that kind of stuff (laughs) through the roof yeah, I mean, for me, he's – the guys I have one and two in redraft, Devontae Adams is still one, which that won't happen. I'm, I've am i always been a preacher of the guy who finished as one is not going to finish as one, and history tells us that that's the case. Um, but number two is Ridley, and he's only behind him by two points. So for me, I'm going to take Ridley because, one, I know who the quarterback's going to be. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be in Green Bay yet. Um and I think, you know, he's in that prime age for a wide receiver. He's 26 years old. He's shown he can do without Julio. I've absolutely hated the argument of, oh, he's just the next Juju. 
as soon as he loses wide receiver one, he's not going to be able to do it. And that's not the case because we've seen what Ridley can do with Julio out of the game. He, Julio only played nine games last year. And in the games that Julio was out, Ridley was more than fine. He was a wide receiver one. So, you know, I think he can take that step forward. Um, and honestly, I see Kyle Pitts filling a lot of the Julio role in ways, you know, I think they're going to flex him out and not have him, you know, necessarily in line blocking like, like a traditional tight end would, because that's not, I mean, he can block, but the Falcons, you know, I don't think they have as much need for that because they're still going to be trailing in games. They're still going to be playing from behind. Um, so it moves Ridley up. I think he's my most probable of, of like the five elite to finish as wide receiver one. For me. And then you you just talked about Pitts kind of filling in that Julio role. Mm-hmm. It, he's the number two guy. You know, does this shift meaningfully? Does this shift like a Russell Gage or you know any of these other guys? A Hayden Hurst, you know any yeah. of these other you know names on the periphery that everyone kind of tosses out there? Yeah, you know I think Gage could be one of those guys who is a slot machine in a sense where he's he's great for PPR. He could be like a wide receiver three. He's a consistent 10, 12 points a week. Um, you know, but I don't think I see those high end games in, in his range of outcomes. You know, I think you get a lot of targets. I think Olamide Zacchaeus is the more likely of those wide receivers to, you know, fill the Julio role, if you want to call it that, because he's got, I think more of that skill set, and I think he's the better wide receiver, but you know, no one's going to come step right in and be Julio Jones. That's just not how it works. Um, so, but I was surprised to see that Hayden Hurst was still my tight end 10 when I bumped it up, when I moved things around after Julio was gone, because I think, like I said, Pitts could play that hybrid role where he doesn't have to stay in an inline block and be that traditional tight end. I think Hayden Hurst is that traditional tight end. And, you know, Hayden Hurst was everyone's one, you know, big sleeper at tight end last year. And they might be disappointed, but he still finished as a tight end one. You know, you can't be that sad with that because after, you know, the elite three guys at tight end, there's a huge drop off anyways. Yeah, you um, just posted that today or yesterday or something, didn't you? About you know the gap between one and two or and two and three or whatever, and then the gap between like three and ten was you know. Yeah, the gap between two and three was I. Ha- I mean, I have it pulled up right here. I think the gap between two and three was about twenty-five points. Something like oh no, it was the hundred points. Gap between two and three was a hundred points, and then the gap between three and ten was twenty-five points. So it's like, if you can't get, and you know, I, I preface that with, you know, Kittle was out basically all of last year. So I would expect that group to expand to three players. So I think you're going to see, you know, Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, and then that steep drop off after that. But once you're in that drop off, you know, I love everyone talking about the sleeper tight ends every year because there's always like 20 of them. And it's like, okay, even if you do hit on one and let's say they finish as the tight end seven, are you going to be happy with that? with their 170 points or whatever it is across, you know, well, it's a little more now, but 17 game season, you know, is, is that going to make a huge difference for you, you know, rather than playing the waiver wire and playing matchups at tight end. Once you get to that point, it's like, it's probably not going to matter that much. You know, there are your guys every couple of years, you know, you had Darren Waller was, was that huge value, you know, when people got him off waivers and the same thing happened with George Kittle when he broke out. So every few years they come around, but it's not like, you know, beyond those three, if you're not willing to pay up, you're just going to have to <laughs> have to deal with that steep drop off. I mean, it's one of those things that's not I don't think it's talked about enough. And I think, you know, drafting one of those top three tight ends is going to become more and more mainstream as we go. You know, it used to be you wait on tight end, don't pay up for one. 
Um, but I think the consensus is starting to shift on that a lot because we've seen, you know, the, the advantage you're at if you have a Travis Kelsey in your lineup because you're just going to – he's going to blow the opposing tight end out of the water almost every single week. Do you prefer to hit this one of those first three then generally when you're drafting? If you I, can. Yeah, I do. I didn't used to be like that. You know, I was – I was one of those guys who said, you know, target, target the athletic tight ends late. Like, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I was in on Evan Ingram because like, he's got an athletic profile. He's going to have a high target share. Go for him. You know, I obviously couldn't account for injuries and all the times he can drop the football. Um, but, you know, I used to be, you know, wait on tight ends because they're a crapshoot anyways. But now we, we've, you know, had a couple of years of data telling us there's these three guys that, you know, are going to give you a weekly advantage. You know, those are the guys that are going to win you your week and, you know, hopefully a championship. So I'm, you know, a huge supporter of going early on these guys. I mean, Travis Kelsey as a mid to late first round pick isn't crazy to me anymore because after that, you know, what are you going to do? Because then you got to pay up on Waller and then you got to pay up on Kittle, which is fine. Um, but the second Kelsey goes off the board, people panic. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. As soon as the first one goes, like if you're not within a couple picks, you're 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 in trouble. You're not gonna, so. yeah, you're not gonna get one. And then you're, good luck. Play the roulette. And to Pitts, you know, in Dynasty, I see Pitts go as the Hi. first tight end off the board, or certainly, you know, no later than the second or third guy. Um, so that I mean, yeah, it's it it the, all four of those guys now, I guess, are kind of the four that that tend to go pretty early there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So I, I tasked you tonight. I sent you a one one real question here. I, I called it win now mode. And I know you you had when you had originally when we first started talking, you said something about, you know, I want to go on some podcasts. So I DMG. I said, hey, man, what what do you want to talk about anything in particular? You said, well, I've been talking about some win now guys you can go get for your teams. I said, awesome. Hit me with some of your best win now guys. So you gave me one at each position. Um, so we can just jump right into these quarterback Mr. Brady is who you sent me. So sell me on Tom Brady. Okay. So Tom Brady, last season, in his first year in a brand new offensive system that he, you know, the first new one he's been in in about 20 years, and in a COVID era where he couldn't have a full offseason with all his brand new players, threw the second most passing yards and touchdowns of his career. And that second most since 2007, which everyone knows is one of the greatest offenses of all time. So that being said, in the Aryan systems, quarterbacks usually take a leap in year two. And I think we've already, we already started, started to see the beginning of that leap in about the last six games of the season for the Bucs. Um, you could see that. And in the playoffs is when the offense really started to click because people remember the offense didn't look great at first. He was putting up yards and touchdowns, but the offense didn't look like it was all in sync. And, you know, they lost some of the, a couple games they shouldn't have. You know, I'm not a Bucs stand by any means, but I'm just, I'm just trying to follow the fantasy points here. Um, and, you know, people have been saying for how many years Brady's done. Brady's going to fall off a cliff. You know, Max Kellerman is regretting his life after he said that what, five or six years ago, something like that. that now. Um, you know, so for me, it's like at this point in his career, I get it. He's going on 44 years old. But I'm I'm willing to be stuck with the bag when Brady expires. You know, if he if he keeps aging like wine, great. If he ages like milk next year, awesome. Because you know his range of outcomes is one of the few guys who can finish top five at the position without the mobility. Yeah. You know, we we've seen it time and time again where you know more often than not these days, you know, you have to have some mobility to crack that top five, top ten echelon of fantasy quarterbacks. 
Um, and Brady's a guy you can get in Dynasty at that age discount. If you're truly a win-now team and you say, you know, my roster is perfect except at quarterback. That's the only spot I need. And then, you know what, I'm going to at least be in the title game. Brady's the guy I'd go for. I get that, you know, guys have more rushing upside, but those guys are way more expensive to acquire than Brady. And they don't have that age bias against them. So I'd go for him. He's he's projected as my QB4 this season. Um because I think he's just only going to get more comfortable in that offense. Antonio Brown was producing as basically his wide receiver one last six games of the year. Um, you know, I think it's just the mixture of value and production you're going to get out of him. If you truly win now, he, he's the guy I'm going for. Um, he's going to be the cheapest guy for what the production you're going to get. And like I said, if he falls off a cliff, he falls off a cliff. You know, there's risk associated with every player. But I think the, you know, the benefits outweigh the risk. And with a guy like Brady this year. Yeah, I, I looked up before the show just to see, because I, I kind of looked to see, like, you know, he was uh, on a per-game basis last year. I think he was QB 11, if you take out Marcus Mariota's one game or whatever he played. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I was like, oh, Marcus Mariota's in here? I, I forgot he even started <laughs> last year. Um, so, and then I looked, at, just to look at his rushing stats last year, I don't know, exactly. I mean, it was 30 rushes for six yards. So, yeah. you know, I'm assuming this is more like <laughs> Neil, Neil Downs and stuff like that. Uh, not, um, you know, uh, not a lot going on there. Uh, it, it is remarkable that he's still, if you look at the other guys around him, you know, Tannehill, Lamar, Herbert, Russ, Deshaun, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Dak Prescott on a per-game basis. Yeah, like you said, those guys all have rushing upside. And then it's Brady. So it, it is really, yeah. really incredible to, to see him in that company um, with – zero of that that you know that's like a third of Lamar Jackson's points at least like you know like some yeah. of these guys and he gets none of that so yeah it's I mean, like an almost a negative upside for him for rushing because who knows he can go backwards on a couple of them yeah um you you mentioned AB there as well and he's a guy mm-hmm. that I went and bought a lot last year at the deadline because he I think people were still kind of skittish about his legal situation it seems yep. like that's starting to clear up a little bit um, would you re- are you buying him anywhere this year as well, or is that kind of like a wait until further in the season? Like I'm not sure he gets cheaper though. If I if you wait on him. no, and I've I've been acquiring him since last year. Honestly, over the off season, I've had him as some throw ins to my contender teams. Like oh, throw in AB because he like I said, he produced as a wide receiver one down the stretch, and that was a team he just he basically walked in the door. He didn't have practice with them. He didn't have any off season stuff. You know, AB is not the top five fantasy receiver he used to be, but he's the most heavily discounted high-end wide receiver two I've ever seen in my life. You know, he obviously has a connection with Brady. I mean, Brady is the guy who let Antonio Brown live in his house in Tampa and hired a personal trainer for him and hired, you know, a therapist to come into his house and rehabilitate Antonio Brown. So Brady has so much invested in this that you know he has the connection with him. And, you know, with the price ranges of, you know, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, I'm going to take Antonio Brown every time. You know, for, for the value that he is in redraft and dynasty, he's the guy I want. Um, you know, when I picked him up off of waivers in a lot of these leagues last year, you know, when they said, oh, he's probably coming back or he signed with the Bucks, but he's suspended, like, I stashed him. I mean, I remember people saying, you know, oh, don't bother. But it's like, I can't in good faith totally dismiss a guy for fantasy who was perennial top five. I mean, he was on pace to be one of the most, you know, productive wide receivers of all time before he had his legal stuff going on. So I'm I'm buying him everywhere I can. 
He's a huge value in redraft leagues and especially best ball leagues. If you're into those, um, I think he's the guy to target in best ball. So I'm, I won't say I'm all in because you can't be a guy all in on a guy that's that cheap, but I'm as all in as you can be on Antonio Brown. Um, because I, I really think he's just going to outproduce his ADP by a lot. I agree. And it, it hurts me to say, cause I, I mean, I'm a huge Steelers fan. I, yeah, I'm sure left such a bad taste in my mouth. Um, yep. it, it, I can't, um, I can't, I can't bring it within myself to say like anything about <laughs> him, but yeah, I mean, I've been, I, I've been buying him places. I think that he's, he's a start. He's like, I was buying him last year thinking like at work, like, I, I think he'll be like a guy that if someone gets hurt, I can plug in yep. buy. and now I'm like, I might be starting <laughs> like regularly in places next year. It's just crazy how quickly that has turned around with Godwin and Gronk and Mike Heavens all there. And he's still, you know, is, is a guy there. So <laughs> it, it really is weird. Um, running back, you have Zeke Elliott down as your guy. Um, yep. I really like Zeke until I get into drafts, and then I can't make myself do it. So I, I, I need a pep talk. So help, give me a pep talk here on Zeke. Yeah, so if you're looking at Zeke's last year, it was worst case scenario all over the board. I mean, he didn't crack a thousand rushing yards. He had his starting quarterback go down. He played with a guy named Ben DiNucci. His entire offensive line was hurt. You know, everything that could have gone wrong for the Cowboys offense went wrong last year. Um, I'm always a believer in talent over situation. And Zeke is one of those cases in dynasty and redraft leagues where I'm still chasing the talent. You know, we've seen him do it, put up elite numbers, Um, and I wasn't ever a huge Zeke guy because for whatever reason, every year, his production just felt like normal. If that makes sense. Like, it wasn't like, wow, Ezekiel Elliott, giant 50 point game, like a Kamara. It was like, you know, 20 points, 21 points, 22 points, 20 points. You know, he's always seems like Mr. Consistent, which is honestly what you want out of your RB one. And the big reason I'm in on him this year is because now you can get him in a discount, you know, before you know, go two years ago, you couldn't buy Ezekiel Elliott in Dynasty if you'd wanted to. You could, you could have thrown three first round picks and you could, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to get him. The, he was the most unbuyable player, like outside of Patrick Mahomes. Really, yeah. He really, really was. Yeah. And look at him now. He's on, the, he's on that cusp, you know, age of 25, you know, he's, he's midway through that, that second contract. So, you know, I, I am a believer that, you know, once running backs hit his certain age, they, I'm not going to say that they don't fall off a cliff, but they steadily decline every year after about, you know, 26, 27, they start going downwards. Um, so, you know, I don't want Zeke really after this year on my dynasty teams. If he has another great year, that's when you sell him because he rehabilitated his value, which is what I think is exactly what's going to happen. But if you're a contender, you know, it's again, the same argument I made with Brady, the type of production you're going to get out of him, you're not going to be able to get him, get it cheaper out of any of the other guys. I mean, reading off my my top 12, it's McCaffrey, Cook, Kamara, Barkley, Jones, Eckler, Mixon, Chubb, Swift, Chris Carson, Jonathan Taylor, and then Ezekiel Elliott. And that's for redraft. That's not dynasty. But, you know, if you're a contender, you're looking at it in a redraft angle for dynasty. And out of the guys on that list, the only one you might be able to get cheaper is Chris Carson. Because he's another one of those, like, you know, he he puts a production in for, you know, he has the injury narrative around him or whatever. But Jonathan Taylor, you're not going to be able to buy him. You can't pry him from somebody's cold, dead hands. The same with Dalvin Cook, and even Christian McCaffrey is that way, and Saquon Barkley. Like, all those guys, they're, they're these premier dynasty assets that you're just not going to be able to buy unless you're you know willing to sell the farm, basically. So 
I want Zeke because he's the cheapest out of those RB1s, and he's going to give me similar production as these assets. And I always look for guys that you know I think are going to rebound their value in Dynasty, and then I can sell them at the high. You know, it's it's not it shouldn't be super complicated. It's buy low, sell high. Some people buy high, sell low, as I've seen in many of my Dynasty leagues. Um, but I think Zeke's that prime guy. You know, his ADP has suffered from it, which has put him at a point where I'm I'm comfortable taking him because his O line's finally healthy. Dak being back is going to open that offensive a lot. Um, and you know, he might not be the focal point. He might not be the focus for defenses. You know, how do you not focus on Amari Cooper and CD lamb and Michael Gallup? So I think that offense is balanced enough to where they can't stack the box against him anymore either. So I'm excited about him. Um, I'm excited to buy him at a discount is what I should say. So RB 12 for you this year, you know, just based on your current projections, mm-hmm. um, that seems slightly low to me when you said it at first. Is the squeeze kind of just th- how prolific the pass catchers are? Is it um, maybe some some doubt in Dak, the offensive line, like mm-hmm. Tony Pollard taking some touches? What um what's dropping him down a little bit further than maybe I, I expect? I thought you were going to say like RB six <laughs> or seven no. or something for redraft this year, and you yeah. go and I was like ah. <laughs> um, really, for me, and I've said this in a couple tweets and stuff and conversations I've had is. It's the people returning. How many RB1s last year were effectively out most of the season or down, you know, by week three, four? You know, just off this list, McCaffrey, Barkley, Eckler, Mixon, Chris Carson, he missed some time. Like, these are the guys that are returning to the fold, and I have to project them for a full season. You know, you can't can't project for injury. If somebody tells you they can predict injury, then they can sell you a bridge, too. Um, You know, so... For me, it's these other guys, and it is that pass-catching upside. You know, Zeke obviously can catch passes, but look at all the other pass-catchers he's surrounded with. You know, I I don't think he's going to have to do that. I'm not – I love Tony Pollard. You know, I think if he was in an offense of his own, he could be an RB1. But I'm not, you know, necessarily super concerned about him vulturing anything from Zeke. Um, I just think it's these other guys. I mean, McCaffrey coming back alone pushes a guy down. The same with Barkley. That pushes a guy down. Eckler, because he's an elite pass catcher. He's at RB6 because he's going to cast a ton of passes. You know, it's these guys coming back that I, that moves him down for me. So I guess you're right. It is the pass catching upside, you know. It, and I have it sorted by full PPR. I'm sure if I sorted it with standard, he would move up because he is more of that traditional running back touchdown scorer, even though he can catch passes. Um, but, but in full PPR, that's what swings it a lot for me is, you know, these guys on, you know, Teams that have less pass catching options, like an Eckler, you know, they have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Obviously, Mike Williams is never healthy, so Eckler is a de facto wide receiver, too. It's the same argument with DeAndre Swift, like I talked about, because he's RB9. So, like, it's these guys that are going to get the dump offs or get the, you know, low A dot passes that I think really rise their value. And, and I think Zeke's just on such a good offense that he's not going to be needed as much for it. And, you know, Dak, Dak doesn't need to check down. We know he can get the ball down the field. Um, you know, Zeke could could outplay that by a lot if, you know, the Cowboys are as high scoring as everyone thinks they're going to be and he runs for 15 touchdowns. And, yeah, that's going to obviously move him up from where he is. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, so we'll find out in a year. The one area that I'm interested to see what happens with him, like I, I'm interested to see if Dak is willing to run around his first year back. And I yep. do, that that's the scenario where if he's not – 
I could see Z catching a few more passes just out of, you know, Dak could get the easy four yards or he could dump it to Zeke and make right. it. Right. So I'm, I'm interested to see that dynamic because I could see that going either way. Um, you never know how some of these guys mentally are going to come back from, from some of these more, you know, serious, severe injuries. No, that's a great point. Honestly, I hadn't thought about it. You know, every report I've read has said that Dak says it's like it never happened. But, you know, as you know, most NFL players aren't going to say, yeah, it's still hampering me or, yeah, I'm affected. I'm not going to run around. Like, you're not going to tell anyone that because the defense is the key in on it. So, like, I- I'm he has to say too. that. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm terrified. <laughs> Please don't hit me. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, and I, I really like Pollard as well. Just to, you know, jump mm-hmm. on that. We talked a couple of weeks ago about just we wish you would leave there and go to like Arizona. I know. And be their guy there or something, you know, somewhere like that. I think he could really flourish. It's just a bummer that he's there and there. I mean, rightfully so going to give the bulk of the touches to Zeke, but it just, it's such a bummer. I know he's such a good guy on his own. Those, those Memphis running backs lately, there's some of the most exciting guys to watch for whatever reason. They really are. I feel like we I should be higher on Gainwell, but the the draft. I'm, I'm higher on Gainwell than most people are. Um, Gosh, I guess this is a sidetrack, but he's at. That's, RB, let's do it. He, he's at RB33 in my PPR rankings. Okay. Because I, I really I really do believe the new coach wants his Naeem Hines, and I think Gainwell is Naeem Hines, but a better rusher. You know, and I think we've already seen that they want to have other running backs involved in Miles Sanders. You know, I like Miles Sanders as a value, but I don't think he's, you know, this dominant RB1 that everyone thought he was last year. He's I don't I just don't think he's that guy. Um and Gainwell is the best pass catcher in this class out of the running back group. And that's, in, you know, including ETN in, in Jacksonville. So I think he's been undervalued. I mean, I've been, I swooped him up in almost every single rookie draft I had um, because he could had it, you know, third, fourth round. And I really do think, you know, Miles Sanders dealt with injuries too. Miles Sanders go down. How many people are going to be going to the waiver wire for kind of Gainwell and blowing their fab budget on him in redraft leagues? That. I think you've sold me on, on Gainwell. And I, I was not anti-Gainwell, but I wasn't, uh, you know, pro-Gainwell either. I was just kind of neutral on him. So I, that that might have sold me on him a little more. I'll have, to, I'll have to look and see. I'm in a draft right now at this startup. Okay. See if he's still yeah, I'm like throw, approaching that range. Throw throw a dart on him. At the very worst, he'll, he'll get some third down work. Interesting. Okay. So your next name here that you gave me for wide receiver is going to be a fun one for us to chat a little bit about because I – I didn't. I, so I didn't crap on him a couple weeks ago, and I'll mm-hmm. let you present here. And then I'll just kind of briefly touch on why I, I was calling him a sell a couple weeks ago. But it's Michael Thomas with the Saints. Um, so why why are you bike, buying Michael Thomas this offseason? So for me, it's again, it's a value proposition on him. The same thing with Brady, Zeke, and now Michael Thomas. If you remember a year ago, Michael Thomas was again one of the most unbuyable dynasty assets out there. If you wanted to get him, you couldn't. And if you wanted to do a dynasty startup, you know, you had to take Thomas Hyde because he finished as the number one fantasy wide receiver. And, you know, he had a bajillion targets at a low A dot. And that's where, you know, Slant Boy was born, as as like to call him. Um, but a lot of it for me is that target share. You know, and it's, a, it's one of those cases, again, where the Saints offense, if you look at it, outside of Kamara and Michael Thomas, what is there? I mean, you have your, your sleeper at tight end and you have, you know, everyone's, oh, Traquan Smith's going to do this or this wide receiver two is going to do this. 
But it, to me, it feels like more like one of those Packers wide receiver two situations, you know, where for years we've been like, who's the next Jordy Nelson? Who's going to be the guy opposite Devonte Adams is going to produce for Sancy. And it's been no one. <laughs> it like for the last couple of years, everyone spends all this time digging into an, you know, Equimania St. Brown and all these other people. And they don't, they don't, they don't, you know, come through. And I think it's the same case with the Saints. You know, they had Emmanuel Sanders who did okay, but they, they've had a hard time finding that guy opposite Thomas. So even if you're not a believer in the talent of Thomas, which, you know, I'm not a big Michael Thomas guy. I'm not, I'm not saying he's in even in the same realm talent-wise as like a Devontae Adams or Tyree Kill. I don't think he is. I think he's good enough to get separation. I think he's good enough to not just run a slant. And I also believe that a lot of what limited him was Drew Brees. You know, say what you will about Drew Brees, and if you love him, he's obviously a you know first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback and one of the all-time greats. But his last couple of years, the arm strength obviously wasn't there. You know, you could see it when Brees would rotate out, go to the sideline. They bring in you know Winston or Taysom Hill to throw throw a bomb, you know, throw a pass over 30 yards because you knew when the deep ball was coming because he couldn't a lot of times deliver that deep ball, you know, with with what he needed to do. Um, so I think he has been limited by his quarterback play, and that's why he's seen all the low dot routes and, you know, a bajillion targets peppered his way. But I really do believe he's he's that value of wide receiver this year. You know, he he fell from grace and went from consensus first-round pick to falling to the third round of redraft leagues, and I don't know what the going rate for him in, is in Dynasty right now um, because, you know, there are some people that just go and look at him and say he's 28, they see that as old, even though we all know wide receivers produce a lot longer than running backs. And they go, I want him off my team. Give me a future first round pick. If somebody's giving me Michael Thomas for a future first in 2022, 2023, I'll take it if my team's a contender. You know, he's one of the few guys that is has the potential to give you elite wide receiver one numbers in PPR, but not be had at that price. You know, I'll go through my list again of redraft rankings. And it's Devontae Adams, Calvin Ridley, Tyree Kill, Stephon Diggs, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, Justin Jefferson. Brandon Cooks is actually a – we could talk about that if we wanted to. But um, DeAndre Hopkins, 9, Michael Thomas, a 10. So out of that list, only Brandon Cooks and maybe Keenan Allen, because he's always underrated, can be had cheaper than Michael Thomas. You're not going to touch Calvin Ridley. You may be able to get Devontae Adams because of the Rodgers situation, but that's also a risk scenario on your end if you want to acquire him. Stephon Diggs has become untouchable. Justin Jefferson is untouchable. Like, these guys, you're not going to be able to get them without selling multiple first-round picks and maybe a good player with it. Whereas Michael Thomas, guys look at him and say, oh, he can only one run route. Oh, he was hurt last year. Oh, they don't have Drew Brees. I'm scared of Jason, Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. I'm not. Because if it's Jameis Winston, that's the guy who threw 30 for 30 and had two wide receiver ones on his team for fantasy. Why wouldn't you want that guy? If that, if it really is Jameis Winston, you should be thrilled because Michael Thomas is probably going to produce. Um, and even Taysom Hill, I'm really not that scared of him because he did just fine in the games he played. You know, he's not Drew Brees, but no one is. You know, he's a different kind of player. But I I think people are discounting him too heavily for what he is. You know, I, I think it's, it's an overcorrection. Um, you know, like I said, I've never been huge on him, but the value there is just too, it's too hard for me to ignore it for what, what he could do this season. And if he produces this season, again, a situation like Zeke, then you can sell him high after he rehabilitates his value. People go, Oh my gosh, he, he produced a wire seer one season with Taysom Hill. He can do anything. That's what they're going to think. Um, if that comes to fruition. So he's, he's a value for me. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear the counterpoint on it though, of why, 
you're not in on him or you think he's a sell for dynasty. Yeah, so I mean, I I um I'm aware I know about you know it, it, the splits with him and with Breeze without Breeze, you know they're virtually identical. That's not necessarily 100% what I worry about with guys like him, and it, this is very much a. I know that a lot of people play fantasy and dynasty with, you know, some emotion and some narrative in whatever decision they're making. There are very few people that I've found that, that, you know, can just sit down and look at the raw numbers and make a decision based on that, which, I mean, it's, it's fantasy football, like, you know, have fun. Yes. Yeah. He's a guy that where, you know, he's had such high highs that if he doesn't hit them again this year for a second year in a row, that narrative all of a sudden becomes Michael Thomas is ne- is not what he was, which turns very quickly into Michael Thomas is washed. And that becomes a very tough player to sell with that narrative, you know, that wave slowly building behind them. And that is what terrifies me about Michael Thomas. If he had been had a stronger last year, obviously he would be much more difficult to buy. But I, like I, I would, you can get away with one bad year or like one you know, lesser year. But two, two, if you link two of them together, that's like a death knell for value purposes. So that's why I argue that he's a sell. You know, number wise, I do think I wide receiver ten for this year sounds right. Like that, that's that feels like the range for me that that I would probably be comfortable projecting. So uh, I don't disagree with that. It just that that part scares me a little bit about him. Yeah, and I can I can totally understand that, you know. And he, if if what happens, what you what you think is going to happen, if he doesn't produce again, then he'll be going on age twenty nine season and approaching thirty, and that's the territory where somebody starts looking and goes, "Oh, I don't want him on dynasty. He's dead to me because he's he's an old man, apparently." Um, you know, that and, used to be and a, like that used to be a lot funnier before I turned twenty nine, and now that <laughs> that is like a lot less funny. <laughs> I'm just hey, I'm not one of those guys. I'm one of those guys who is let, happy to let Adam Thielen just ride off into the sunset on my roster because he's still going to give me production. And I think, honestly, Michael Thomas, realistic range of outcomes, he could be a Thielen type of player where he comes in, he doesn't give you a lot of boom weeks anymore. He still gives you some, you know, mid-level production and he ages. And, And that could just be what his fate is. And for Dynasty, sometimes that's fine. You know, I'm one of those guys who who thinks you don't have to sell all your good players all the time. Obviously, if you can sell them at a peak, awesome. But your window to sell Michael Thomas was after he had, you know, the most, almost most catches in NFL history. Did he break the record that year by a couple? I think he set, I think he broke that. He set the record. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you come off literally a historic wide receiver season with a quarterback who you knew was about to retire. If you didn't sell him then, that's on you. If people were knocking down your door with two, three first-round picks and a young player, that's you. You held the bag. You're stuck with it at that point. You know. But I think, for me, I'd be willing to give it one more chance for Dynasty this year and see you know, if, if he can do it, if he stays fully healthy. You know, I think he will put up wide receiver one numbers. And then at that point, I think a lot of people's narrative will shift and they'll say, oh, look, look what he can do without Drew Brees there. And then maybe they'll be more willing to buy because they could say, you know, he's an outlier. He's going to produce, you know, I, the narratives build up around that. And then people argue about it, but you know, I, I, I think I, he's really 50, 50. I lean more on the side that he'll do well this year. Um, and like I said, with those other guys in that same range, you're not going to be able to get anyone cheaper than that. So 
you know, I would rather roll my dice on him just because of, you know, what that offense has been in the past for production wise, you know, obviously that's all been with Drew Brees. So it's hard to pull out any other numbers on it. Um, but he did just fine with Teddy Bridgewater too, when Bridgewater was in there for a few games. Um, so I'm happy to buy him, but I can definitely see your scenario playing out. But I'm maybe a little more risky than most. I'm a very conservative uh, fantasy player. Yeah. So that that's, you know, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you a ballpark of my risk in, in dynasty. I have Aaron Rodgers and Sean Watson on the same roster and I acquired both of them this off season. Ooh. So that could turn into a rebuild real quick. Oh yeah. I mean, I've got Jordan, I've got Jordan Love also on the same roster and I also have Davis Mills, which I, who I took in the rookie draft. Um, and I have Daniel Jones on the bench too. So it won't be total doomsday. Hopefully if neither one of them plays. Um, but you know, again, like I'm going to take my shot on the guys who could be top five fantasy quarterbacks, you know, some of the like Watson, you know, the legal stuff aside, because we obviously can't make any judgment on that. You know, how often can you get a top five fantasy quarterback who's young at a discount in a super flex league? It just doesn't, it doesn't happen. So, yeah. I get that the might, concerns, but that might be my favorite quarterback room that I've ever heard on any <laughs> roster. That's almost a roster where you just like purposely hope you like productive struggle for a year. Do you have your first this year in that league, or did you use it to get? I Watson? do. Okay. No, so I didn't they, use it to get yeah. Watson. No, so that's why I don't feel too bad about it because like I, I bought him when somebody like the news came out about it and somebody literally put him on the trade block, and I was like, well. If there's any time to do it, I guess it's now. And you know what? If if the legal stuff ends up being true, then I'll be off my roster. Yeah. And it is what it is because that's the risk you run in fantasy football sometimes, you know. It, but if it if it doesn't end up being true or whatever happens with it, you know, then you have a top five fantasy option at a heavy discount. So it it goes both ways. It's but you know it's one of those leagues where I'm like you know what let's have fun. I already got Watson. I'll go get Rodgers too once that news came out. That is like chaos quarterback <laughs> peak chaos that that is seriously awesome just that that group of five names there uh, <laughs> fantasy purposes. That, that's amazing uh, so your last one here is a guy i i love travis kelsey i'll he'll be 38 and be on his clearly on his last legs and i'll probably still go by him if he's on the yep <laughs> like, I, I just i just love the talent and the situation married and i'm assuming you're taking a similar path here uh, with why he's such a buy at this point. I am. Um, you know, Kelsey's in that range now where the age bias starts to kick in, you know, 32, 33, and they say, oh, well, he's old. I better sell him now while I can still get value. But Kelsey's another one of those guys where what value are you going to get back? How many guys are you going to be able to sell him for or picks that's going to give you tight end one and the tight end one production? Unless you're getting Kyle Pitts and a first, then you probably you probably can't justify moving him if you're a seller, you know, because we've seen the the point advantage he gives every single year. It's like it's not even in the same realm. Even the tight end too, it's usually like 20, 30 points off of what he produces. You know, he's obviously the focal point of that offense. And you can't say that about a lot of other tight ends. I mean, you could say it about Darren Waller now because the wide receivers he's surrounded by aren't great in Oakland. Um, but you know, for Kelsey, I think. I think we're finally at a point where people will sell him thinking he's old and that you can get him at some kind of value. And if, 
if you're a team that, you know, you rest your roster's perfect, but you're rolling out Evan Ingram at tight end, that's the move you need to make. You know, sell your first, get Kelsey, set him in your lineup for 17 games, and then forget it and be done with it. You know, so th- that's that's why I'm at that point with Kelsey, because it's just there's no other player that I can look at in my roster and say, you know what, 95% bet he's going to have 15 points this week. Like, you, those players don't exist. Even when Gronk was in his prime, he would have some spike weeks. You know, some some weeks he'd have four catches, 40 yards, nothing else. Also, the next week he'd have, you know, six catches, 60 yards, and three touchdowns, and that would spike up that week. Like, but Kelsey is just he's just consistent, you know. And you want him, you want you know your tight end tied to the best quarterback in football, who also hyper targets their tight end. There's no other situation like that in the league, and there's no other talent like that in the league right now. So that's. That's why I'm in on Kelsey, you know, it, obviously if my team is, you know, middle of the pack or the back end and I have Kelsey on my roster, you sell them, you try to get good value back out of it. But if you're truly, you know, a one player away type of team and you're like, you know what, I don't care if my, if my roster stinks the year after this, then he's the guy you get at tight end. There's, for me, there's not much debate about it. I mean, you could, you could say Waller, but Waller's actually only three years younger than Kelsey. You could say Kittle, but he's only four years younger. So, you know, you got to make a decision on what that age line is for you. Um, and Kelsey's been an Ironman. He's been as close as you can get to not coming off the field and not getting hurt. So it's it, – there's no other player like it for me in fantasy. I I don't remember where I read this. It was probably a couple of years ago, and it was by somebody who's much smarter than me. It kind of <laughs> bro- went and broke down, you know, how posi- certain positions age as they're in the NFL. And I think they mm-hmm. I, I think they were looking at it through a fantasy lens. But they, they said that once tight ends establish themselves in the NFL, they last so much longer than a lot of other positions yep. on average. So while we were sitting here talking, I just went and kind of pulled up three guys that I could see Kelsey, you know, aging like the you know, first one, Tony Gonzalez. You know, his once he moved to Atlanta at thirty three um, which is, you know, right around where Kelsey is. But his last couple years, you know, 83 for 867 and 6. 70 for 656 and 6. 80 for 875 and 7. 93 for 930 and 8 at 36 years old. You know, he, yep. or you go right down the list. I looked up Antonio Gates. He dropped off a little more, but still, you know, his age 36 season was 53, 548 and 7. Jason, Jason Witten, I looked up, you know, 20, 2017 when he was 35 before he retired for the first time, 63, 560 and five. And just as a comparison note for people listening, Noah Fant last year put up 62, 673 and three. Exactly. So that's within that ballpark. All those guys did yep. that at, you know, 36. I think Kelsey certainly has that in his, you know, he's very capable of putting up those kind of numbers for a few years. Well, and he's tied to a quarterback on a 10 year contract. Yes. And, you know, know it's not going anywhere to reinforce your tight end one point being old even more. The last year that Jason Witten played after he came back, not with the Raiders last year with the Cowboys, when he retired, went to the broadcasting booth and then came back on the field for the Cowboys. He was a tight end one for fantasy. Not that that was great. It was like tight end 10. But even if you just kept him on your rosters in Dynasty and let him sit there, you know, he still produced tight end one numbers for you. So if if Jason Witten can do that and come back out of the broadcast booth on retire and still put up tight end one numbers, I think Kelsey will be fine for at least the next three to four years. You know, so even if that's, if that's your mindset, if you say, you know, I could see Kelsey being elite for three more years, then you go get him. 
because you can't realistically project more than two, three years out in dynasty. If you say you can, you're kidding yourself because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, Patrick Mahomes could be traded. Obviously that's probably not going to happen, but you know what I'm saying? Like crazy things happen in the NFL all the time. So, you know, if you, if you look at him and say, you know, yeah, three more years of tight end one production, then it's a no brainer to me. That Mahomes extension is the best thing that could have happened to his value but it also really sucks for us that we're us, those of us that we're trying to buy him because it's like yeah. now, like you can't <laughs> impossible. Even say, you know, Drew Brees might be, you know, or Aaron Rodgers, they might be gone next year. It's like okay, nope, you know, we can't. There, there's literally no argument here. Ten uh, years, I'm surprised they didn't give an ownership stake in the team while they were at it. They really should have. They really should have. Yeah. I don't know why they did. Uh, yeah, so I think that is all that we had to cover here. And we covered even, you know, more stuff. So you were very gracious with jumping into some of these rankings as I was just kind of throwing these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, thank you again for coming on. Um, again, you know, Jack, you can find you on Twitter at Clinic Cap. Is there anywhere else you want to send people here um, to find uh, your work before we uh, we say goodbye? Yeah, you can find us also at Fantasy Football Clinic or at Clinic Fantasy. That's our Twitter for our main um, site page. There's also a website attached to that, fantasyfootballclinic.com. And you can also find our exclusive content on our Patreon. If you want access to that stat simulator I brought up um, and was actually going off of rankings in this show, that's available for on there for $3 a month along with other perks. Um, so you can find us there. Um, reach out to me on Twitter anytime if you have a question, anything like that, or want, you know, if you're another podcast host and want, want me on, more than happy to help. Um, and thank you again for having me on. This has been great. Yeah, you were, you were a phenomenal guest. I think, you know, you, I would sit by the phone. You might get a call as a replacement here for call. So <laughs> I, I would keep that phone close. Yeah, don't let it go too far. Um, but yeah, man, thanks again for coming <laughs> on. This was, this was a great discussion. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. All right. And then just so everybody else, you know, just as a reminder, you know, tune in Campus Life. Uh, we'll be, uh, sp- we have a guest next week, or this, this week calling his way here. So, um, you know, the, that, that'll be, that'll be uh, coming up. And then just pay attention to the other podcasts on our network here. Uh, Alfred's Why Wait Till Sunday, uh, Debbie Debates, and then the Fantasy Football Roundtable as well. Uh, until next time, guys, I am Austin. Have a good week.